Part Five of Paul and Virginia. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Alice Christoph. Paul and Virginia by Bernardine de Saint Pierre. Part Five. About this period, a ship from France brought Madame de la Tour a letter from her aunt. The fear of death, without which hearts as insensible as hers would never feel, had alarmed her into compassion. When she wrote she was recovering from a dangerous illness which had, however, left her incurably languid and weak. She desired her niece to return to France, or, if her health forbade her to undertake so long a voyage, she begged her to send Virginia, on whom she promised to bestow a good education, to procure her a splendid marriage, and to leave her heiress of her whole fortune. She concluded by enjoining strict obedience to her will, in gratitude, she said, for her great kindness. At the perusal of this letter, general consternation spread itself through the whole assembled party. Domingo and Mary began to weep. Paul, motionless with surprise, appeared almost ready to burst with indignation, while Virginia, fixing her eyes anxiously upon her mother, had not power to utter a single word. "'And can you now leave us?' cried Margaret to Madame de la Tour. "'No, my dear friend, no, my beloved children,' replied Madame de la Tour. "'I will never leave you. I have lived with you, and with you I will die. I have known no happiness but in your affection. If my health be deranged, my past misfortunes are the cause.' My heart has been deeply wounded by the cruelty of my relations, and by the loss of my beloved husband, but I have since found more consolation and more real happiness with you in these humble huts than all the wealth of my family could now lead me to expect in my country. At this soothing language every eye overflowed with tears of delight. Paul, pressing Madame de la Tour in his arms, exclaimed, Neither will I leave you. I will not go to the Indies. We will all labour for you, dear mamma, and you shall never feel any want with us. But of the whole society, the person who displayed the least transport, and who probably felt the most, was Virginia. And during the remainder of the day, the gentle gaiety which flowed from her heart, and proved that her peace of mind was restored, completed the general satisfaction. At sunrise the next day, just as they had concluded offering up, as usual, their morning prayer before breakfast, Domingo came to inform them that a gentleman on horseback, followed by two slaves, was coming towards the plantation. It was Monsieur de la Bourdonnais. He entered the cottage, where he found the family at breakfast. Virginia had prepared, according to the custom of the country, coffee and rice boiled in water. To these she had added hot yams, and fresh plantains. The leaves of the plantain tree supplied the want of table linen, and calabash shells split in two served for cups. The governor exhibited at first some astonishment at the homeliness of the dwelling. Then, addressing himself to Madame de la Tour, he observed that although public affairs drew his attention too much from the concerns of individuals, she had many claims on his good offices. You have an aunt at Paris, madam, he added, a woman of quality, and immensely rich, who expects that you will hasten to see her, 
and who means to bestow upon you her whole fortune. Madame de la Tour replied that the state of her health would not permit her to undertake so long a voyage. At least, resumed Monsieur de la Bourdonnais, you cannot without injustice deprive this amiable young lady, your daughter, of so noble an inheritance. I will not conceal from you that your aunt has made use of her influence to secure your daughter being sent to her, and that I have received official letters, in which I am ordered to exert my authority, if necessary, to that effect. But as I only wish to employ my power for the purpose of rendering the inhabitants of this country happy, I expect from your good sense the voluntary sacrifice of a few years, upon which your daughter's establishment in the world, and the welfare of your whole life depends. Wherefore do we come to these islands? Is it not to acquire a fortune? And will it not be more agreeable to return and find it in your own country? He then took a large bag of piastres from one of his slaves, and placed it upon the table. This sum, he continued, is allotted by your aunt to defray the outlay necessary for the equipment of the young lady for her voyage. Gently reproaching Madame de la Tour for not having had recourse to him in her difficulties, he extolled at the same time her noble fortitude. Upon this Paul said to the governor, My mother did apply to you, sir, and you received her ill. Have you another child, madame? said Monsieur de la Bourdonnais to Madame de la Tour. No, sir, she replied, this is the son of my friend, but he and Virginia are equally dear to us, and we mutually consider them both as our own children. Young man, said the governor to Paul, when you have acquired a little more experience of the world, you will know that it is the misfortune of people in place to be deceived, and bestow in consequence upon intriguing vice that which they would wish to give to modest merit. Monsieur de la Bourdonnais, at the request of Madame de la Tour, placed himself near to her at table, and breakfasted after the manner of the Creoles, upon coffee mixed with rice boiled in water. He was delighted with the order and cleanliness which prevailed in the little cottage, the harmony of the two interesting families, and the zeal of their old servants. Here, he exclaimed, I discern only wooden furniture, but I find serene countenances and hearts of gold. Paul enchanted with the affability of the governor, said to him, I wish to be your friend, for you are a good man. Monsieur de la Bourdonnais received with pleasure this insular compliment, and taking Paul by the hand, assured him he might rely upon his friendship. After breakfast he took Madame de la Tour aside, and informed her that an opportunity would soon offer itself of sending her daughter to France, in a ship which was going to sail in a short time, that he would put her under the charge of a lady, one of the passengers, who was a relation of his own, and that she must not think of renouncing an immense fortune on account of the pain of being separated from her daughter for a brief interval. Your aunt, he added, cannot live more than two years, of this I am assured by her friends. Think of it seriously. Fortune does not visit us every day. Consult your friends. I am sure that every person of good sense will be of my opinion. She answered, That, as she desired no other happiness henceforth in the world than in promoting that of her daughter, she hoped to be allowed to leave her departure for France to her own inclination. Madame de la Tour was not sorry to find an opportunity of separating Paul and Virginia for a short time, 
and provide by this means for their mutual felicity at a future period. She took her daughter aside and said to her, My dear child, our servants are now old. Paul is still very young. Margaret is advanced in years, and I am already infirm. If I should die, what would become of you without fortune in the midst of these deserts? You would then be left alone, without any person who could afford you much assistance, and would be obliged to labour without ceasing as a hired servant in order to support your wretched existence. This idea overcomes me with sorrow. Virginia answered, God has appointed us to labour, and to bless him every day. Up to this time he has never forsaken us, and he never will forsake us in time to come. His providence watches most especially over the unfortunate. You have told me this very often, my dear mother. I cannot resolve to leave you. Madame de la Tour replied with much emotion, I have no other aim than to render you happy, and to marry you one day to Paul, who is not really your brother. Remember, then, that his fortune depends upon you. A young girl who is in love believes that every one else is ignorant of her passion. She throws over her eyes the veil with which she covers the feelings of her heart. But when it is once lifted by a friendly hand, the hidden sorrows of her attachment escaped as though a newly opened barrier, and the sweet outpourings of unrestrained confidence succeed to her former mystery and reserve. Virginia, deeply affected by this new proof of her mother's tenderness, related to her the cruel struggles she had undergone, of which heaven alone had been witness. She saw, she said, the hand of providence in the assistance of an affectionate mother who approved of her attachment, and would guide her by her counsels. And as she was now strengthened by such support, every consideration led her to remain with her mother without anxiety for the present, and without apprehension for the future. Madame de la Tour, perceiving that this confidential conversation had produced an effect altogether different from that which she expected, said, My dear child, I do not wish to constrain you. Think over it at leisure, but conceal your affection from Paul. It is better not to let a man know that the heart of his mistress is gained. Virginia and her mother were sitting together by themselves the same evening, when a tall man, dressed in a blue cassock, entered their cottage. He was a missionary priest and the confessor of Madame de la Tour and her daughter, who had now been sent to them by the governor. "'My children,' he exclaimed as he entered, "'God be praised. You are now rich. You can now attend to the kind suggestions of your benevolent hearts, and do good to the poor.' I know what Monsieur de la Bourdonnais has said to you, and what you have said in reply. Your health, dear madam, obliges you to remain here, but you, young lady, are without excuse. We must obey our aged relations, even when they are unjust. A sacrifice is required of you, but it is the will of God. Our Lord devoted himself for you, and you, in imitation of his example, must give up something for the welfare of your family. Your voyage to France will end happily. You will surely consent to go, my dear young lady. Virginia, with downcast eyes, answered, trembling, If it is the command of God, I will not presume to oppose it. Let the will of God be done. As she uttered these words, she wept.
The priest went away in order to inform the governor of the success of his mission. In the meantime, Madame de la Tour sent Domingo to request me to come to her, that she might consult me respecting Virginia's departure. I was not at all of opinion that she ought to go. I consider it as a fixed principle of happiness that we ought to prefer the advantages of nature to those of fortune, and never go in search of that at a distance which we may find at home, in our own bosoms. But what could be expected from my advice, in opposition to the illusions of a splendid fortune? Or from my simple reasoning, when in competition with the prejudices of the world, and an authority held sacred by Madame de la Tour? This lady indeed only consulted me out of politeness. She had ceased to deliberate since she had heard the decision of her confessor. Margaret herself, who, notwithstanding the advantages she expected for her son from the possession of Virginia's fortune, had hitherto opposed her departure, made no further objections. As for Paul, in ignorance of what had been determined, but alarmed at the secret conversations which Virginia had been holding with her mother, he abandoned himself to melancholy. "'They are plotting something against me,' cried he, "'for they conceal everything from me.' A report having in the meantime been spread in the island that fortune had visited these rocks, merchants of every description were seen climbing their steep ascent. Now, for the first time, were seen displayed in these humble huts the richest stuffs of India. The fine dimity of Gondalore, the handkerchiefs of Pelicat and Masulipatan, the plain, striped and embroidered muslins of Dhaka, so beautifully transparent, the delicately white cottons of Surat, and linens of all colours. They also brought with them the gorgeous silks of China, satin damasks, some white, and others grass-green and bright red, pink taffetas, with a profusion of satins and gauze of Tonquin, both plain and decorated with flowers, soft pekins, downy as cloth, and white and yellow nankeens, and the calicoes of Madagascar. Madame de la Tour wished her daughter to purchase whatever she liked. She only examined the goods and inquired the price, to take care that the dealers did not cheat her. Virginia made choice of everything she thought would be useful or agreeable to her mother, or to Margaret and her son. This, said she, will be wanted for furnishing the cottage, and that will be very useful to Mary and Domingo. In short, the bag of piastres was almost emptied before she even began to consider her own wants, and she was obliged to receive back for her own use a share of the presents which she had distributed among the family circle. Paul, overcome with sorrow at the sight of these gifts of fortune, which he felt were a presage of Virginia's departure, came a few days after to my dwelling. With an air of deep despondency he said to me, My sister is going away. She is already making preparations for her voyage. I conjure you to come and exert your influence over her mother and mine in order to detain her here. I could not refuse the young man's solicitations, although well convinced that my representations would be unavailing. Virginia had ever appeared to me charming when clad in the coarse cloth of Bengal, with a red handkerchief tied round her head. You may therefore imagine how much her beauty was increased when she was attired in the graceful and elegant costume worn by the ladies of this country. She had on a white muslin dress, 
lined with pink taffeta. A somewhat tall and slender figure was shown to advantage in her new attire, and the simple arrangement of her hair accorded admirably with the form of her head. Her fine blue eyes were filled with an expression of melancholy, and the struggles of passion with which her heart was agitated imparted a flush to her cheek and to her voice a tone of deep emotion. The contrast between her pensive look and her gay habiliments rendered her more interesting than ever, nor was it possible to see or hear her unmoved. Paul became more and more melancholy, and at length Margaret, distressed at the situation of her son, took him aside and said to him, Why, my dear child, will you cherish vain hopes, which will only render your disappointment more bitter? It is time for me to make known to you the secret of your life and of mine. Mademoiselle de la Tour belongs, by her mother's side, to a rich and noble family, while you are but the son of a poor peasant girl. And what is worse, you are illegitimate. Paul, who had never heard this last expression before, inquired with eagerness its meaning. His mother replied, I was not married to your father. When I was a girl, seduced by love, I was guilty of a weakness of which you are the offspring. The consequence of my fault is that you are deprived of the protection of a father's family, and by my flight from home you have also lost that of your mother's. Unfortunate child, you have no relations in the world but me. And she shed a flood of tears. Paul, pressing her in his arms, exclaimed, O oh, my dear mother, since I have no relation in the world but you, I will love you all the more. But what a secret have you just disclosed to me? I now see the reason why Mademoiselle de la Tour has estranged herself so much from me for the last two months, and why she has determined to go to France. Ah, I perceive too well that she despises me. The hour of supper being arrived, we gathered round the table. But the different sensations with which we were agitated left us little inclination to eat, and the meal, if such it may be called, passed in silence. Virginia was the first to rise. She went out, and seated herself on the very spot where we now are. Paul hastened after her, and sat down by her side. Both of them, for some time, kept a profound silence. It was one of those delicious nights which are so common between the tropics, and to the beauty of which no pencil can do justice. The moon appeared in the midst of the firmament, surrounded by a curtain of clouds, which was gradually unfolded by her beams. Her light insensibly spread itself over the mountains of the island, and their distant peaks glistened with a silvery green. The winds were perfectly still. We heard among the woods, at the bottom of the valleys, and on the summits of the rocks, the piping cries and the soft notes of the birds, wandering in their nests, and rejoicing in the brightness of the night and the serenity of the atmosphere. The hum of insects was heard in the grass. The stars sparkled in the heavens, and their lurid orbs were reflected, in trembling sparkles, from the tranquil bosom of the ocean. Virginia's eye wandered distractedly over its vast and gloomy horizon, distinguishable from the shore of the island only by the red fires in the fishing boats. She perceived at the entrance of the harbour a light and a shadow. These were the watchlight 
and the hull of the vessel in which she was to embark for Europe, and which, all ready for sea, lay at anchor, waiting for a breeze. Affected at this sight, she turned away her head, in order to hide her tears from Paul. Madame de la Tour, Margaret and I were seated at a little distance, beneath the plantain trees, and owing to the stillness of the night, we distinctly heard their conversation, which I have not forgotten. Paul said to her, You are going away from us, they tell me, in three days. You do not fear then to encounter the danger of the sea, at the sight of which you are so much terrified. I must perform my duty, answered Virginia, by obeying my parent. You leave us, resumed Paul, for a distant relation whom you have never seen. Alas, cried Virginia, I would have remained here my whole life, but my mother would not have it so. My confessor, too, told me it was the will of God that I should go, and that life was a scene of trials, and, oh, this is indeed a severe one. What? exclaimed Paul. You could find so many reasons for going, and not one for remaining here. Ah, there is one reason for your departure that you have not mentioned. Riches have great attractions. You will soon find in the new world to which you are going another, to whom you will give the name of brother, which you bestow on me no more. You will choose that brother from amongst persons who are worthy of you by their birth, and by a fortune which I have not to offer. But where can you go to be happier? On what shore will you land, and find it dearer to you than the spot which gave you birth? And where will you form around you a society more delightful to you than this, by which you are so much accustomed? What will become of her, already advanced in years, when she no longer sees you at her side at the table, in the house, in the walks, where she used to lean upon you? What will become of my mother, who loves you with the same affection? What shall I say to comfort them, when I see them weeping for your absence? Cruel Virginia! I say nothing to you of myself, but what will become of me, when in the morning I shall no more see you? And the evening will come, and not reunite us. When I shall gaze on these two palm-trees, planted at our birth, and so long the witness of our mutual friendship, ah, since your lot is changed, since you seek in a far country other possessions than the fruits of my labour, let me go with you in the vessel in which you are about to embark. I will sustain your spirits in the midst of those tempests which terrify you so much even on shore. I will lay my head upon your bosom, I will warm your heart upon my own, and in France, where you are going in search of fortune and of grandeur, I will wait upon you as your slave. Happy only in your happiness you will find me, in those places where I shall see you receiving the homage and adoration of all, rich and noble enough to make you the greatest of all sacrifices by dying at your feet. The violence of his emotions stopped his utterance, and we then heard Virginia, who, in a voice broken by sobs, uttered these words. It is for you that I go, for you whom I see tied to death every day by the labour of sustaining two helpless families. If I have accepted this opportunity of becoming rich, it is only to return a thousandfold the good which you have done us. Can any fortune be equal to your friendship? Why do you talk about your birth? Ah, if it were possible for me still to have a brother— 
Should I make choice of any other than you, O oh, Paul, Paul, you are far dearer to me than a brother. How much has it cost me to repulse you from me? Help me to tear myself from what I value more than existence, till heaven shall bless our union. But I will stay or go. I will live or die. Dispose of me as you will. Unhappy that I am. I could have repelled your caresses, but I cannot support your affliction. At these words, Paul seized her in his arms, and holding her pressed close to his bosom, cried, in a piercing tone, I will go with her. Nothing shall ever part us. We all ran towards him, and Madame de la Tour said to him, My son, if you go, what will become of us? He, trembling, repeated after her the words, My son, my son, you my mother, cried he. You who would separate the brother from the sister. We have both been nourished at your bosom. We have both been reared upon your knees. We have learned of you to love another. We have said so a thousand times, and now you would separate her from me. You would send her to Europe, that inhospitable country which refused you an asylum, and to relations by whom you yourself were abandoned. You will tell me that I have no right over her, and that she is not my sister. She is everything to me, my riches, my birth, my family, all that I have. I know no other. We have had but one roof, one cradle, and we will have but one grave. If she goes, I will follow her. The governor will prevent me. Will he prevent me from flinging myself into the sea? Will he prevent me from following her by swimming? The sea cannot be more fatal to me than the land. Since I cannot live with her, at least I will die before her eyes, far from you, inhuman mother. Woman without compassion! May the ocean to which you trust her restore her to you no more. May the waves rolling back our bodies amid the shingles of this beach give you in the loss of your two children an eternal subject of remorse. At these words I seized him in my arms, for despair had deprived him of reason. His eyes sparkled with fire, the perspiration fell in great drops from his face, his knees trembled, and I felt his heart beat violently against his burning bosom. Virginia, alarmed, said to him, Oh, my dear Paul, I call to witness the pleasures of our early age, your griefs and my own, and everything that can forever bind two unfortunate beings to each other, that if I remain at home, I will live but for you, that if I go, I will one day return to be yours. I call you all to witness, you who have reared me from my infancy, who dispose of my life, and who see my tears. I swear by that heaven which hears me, by the sea which I am going to pass, by the air I breathe, and which I never sullied by a falsehood. As the sun softens and precipitates an icy rock from the summit of one of the Apennines, so the impetuous passions of the young man were subdued by the voice of her he loved. He bent his head, and a torrent of tears fell from his eyes. His mother, mingling her tears with his, held him in her arms, but was unable to speak. Madame de la Tour, half distracted, said to me, I can bear this no longer. My heart is quite broken. 
This unfortunate voyage shall not take place. Do take my son home with you. Not one of us has had any rest the whole week. I said to Paul, My dear friend, your sister shall remain here. Tomorrow we will talk to the governor about it. Leave your family to take some rest, and come and pass the night with me. It is late. It is midnight. The southern cross is just above the horizon. He suffered himself to be led away in silence, and after a night of great agitation, he arose at break of day and returned home. But why should I continue any longer to you the recital of this history? There is but one aspect of human pleasure. Like the globe upon which revolve, the fleeting cause of life is but a day, and if one part of that day be visited by light, the other is thrown into darkness. My father, I answered, finish, I conjure you, the history which you have begun in a manner so interesting. If the images of happiness are the most pleasing, those of misfortune are the more instructive. Tell me what became of the unhappy young man. End of part five